0: Good morning once again. On Wednesday night, we are going through 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's basically uh, the things that uh, should be uh, the qualifications of an elder and of a deacon. And so with that in mind, we have invited a special speaker the last Sunday of this month that's the 29th of May in the evening. Uh, Jabe Nicholson, some of you might know Jabe. Um, I already know how long he's going to speak. It's going exa- to be exactly one hour. Um, but the thing is, is that uh, he's not going to be here personally. We're going to have a, v- a DVD and his uh, message. And so within an hour, we're not going to have any music. We'll probably just have opening prayer and announcements, and go right into the, the, the video. But he is presenting uh, the qualifications of a deacon and an elder uh, in a way that I've never... It's just fantastic, and it goes right down the scripture, and I think you'll greatly enjoy it. Uh, as you know, that it's been over two years since Rod and I have just encouraged the saints here... Publicly to start praying for additional elders. Uh, we know that, of course, elders are not chosen by the people; they're um, chosen by God. They're they're gifted by God to to take on that that very important responsibility. So, um, it's just been a great time that we have. If you have a chance to come out Wednesday night and uh, be with us and also to pray for this assembly, Uh, you're invited to, to do so. What I want to speak about this morning, I think everybody knows the story, at least I hope they do, of David and Goliath, okay? We all know that story, but do we know a story that took place just before that took place of David and Eliab? Eliab as we'll find out is David's oldest brother. And I've been studying this portion for a while now and the Lord has uh, shown me a few things that I'd like to share and again maybe none of these things I share this morning will be new to you and if not it'll be a great review. And so if I would uh, I would ask you that if you would turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We'll start um, at the background of this, uh, this conf- not confrontation, but this uh, meeting between David and Eliab. <clears throat> In first Samuel chapter 16, and we'll start at uh, verse one. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel. We understand, of course, that the story behind that is that Saul was told by the Lord to go and take out the Amalekites completely, everything, everything that had breath, take take it out. And Saul, of course, disobeyed the Lord. He kept the best of the animals, and he even kept King Agag brought him back and played with him for a little bit, and uh, we understand that, you know, when Samuel came, Saul made all kinds of excuses and, and that sort of thing, and, and as a result, um, Samuel told Saul that the kingdom was being taken out of his hand. And uh, so the Lord says, fill thine horn, verse 1, with oil, and go, and I will, I will send thee to Jesse Bethlehem the Bethlemon height might, for I have perceived or provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord and call Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I name unto thee. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he says, Peaceably. I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when, he, uh, when they were come, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God, but the Lord looks on the heart, looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down until he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and with, with all of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to, And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Well, we learned also, if you were to read on, um, about uh, Jesse, if you can look uh, ahead to chapter 17 and verse uh, 12, and it says, Now David was the son of that uh, Ephrathite of Bethlehem Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. So basically, we know about Jesse is that he was old. We also know that Jesse's father was Obed. And does anybody know whose parents Obed were? Ruth and Boaz, that's right, Ruth and Boaz. And so we are going to see uh, quite a few pictures of Christ in David. And in verse uh, chapter 17, and let's begin at verse 1, now the Philistines gathered together, their armies to battle and were gathered together at Shukah, which belongs to Judah, and pitched between Shukah and Azekah in Ephraim's Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel uh, stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Uh, Estimates are that he was about nine feet nine inches tall. He was a very big boy. You know, but it's interesting that in, and I might have mentioned this before, but in the British Museum today, there is the thigh bone of a human being, they've, they've, they've found out that it was a thigh bone and it was uh, excavated, the archeologists excavated it in the area of Hebron. Now if you remember Hebron from your Old Testament, that was an area that the spies went through and when the spies saw these people, what did they say? Man, we look, we're like grasshoppers. Well, nine feet, nine inches tall is very, very tall. But if you strapulate out four-foot thigh bone, you get a human being that was over 12 feet tall. Now, if that's true, then if they were going to choose up a basketball team, Goliath would have been the last one to be picked because he would have been the short guy. I mean, it's amazing, you know. So, 12 feet over 12 feet tall thats, that's hard to conceive, but. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter too much on this other than we know that he was a, a very large person. But in verse 17, you skip down to there, and it says, And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren. So David was given a mission. And this reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was given a mission. Who will go for me? You know, And the Lord says, I, I will go. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came on this rescue mission 2,000 years ago from heaven. And he lived that perfect life. And then at the end of that perfect life, he allowed the creatures that he had created to take his hands put them on, uh, on a Roman cross, and then those nails were driven through those hands and feet. And he died to take away, to pay the penalty of your sin and mine. That's, what's, that's what the gospel is, the good news, that God sent his son to be the savior of the world. We read about that in 1 John 4, 14. Well, it's interesting to kind of see when you really spend some time uh, looking at this passage, you find out, and we found this out, uh, Justin spoke on this last week, that (coughs) an ephah is approximately 10 gallons of parched corn. That would have a little bit of a weight to it, and also 10 loaves. And what's interesting, if you read uh, verse 17... And he says, and run to the camp <clears throat> to thy brethren. And David would have said, well, you know, it's quite a ways. It's close to 10 miles. Would, would it be okay if I took an animal? Because if, you re- if we were to read a little bit more in chapter 16, when Saul was uh, going through this manic depressive uh, mood, that the people said, you know what? We need to get someone that can play music because that'll calm his heart. And someone says, hey, I know someone. He's a great musician. He just plays the harp, and he, he no doubt has a beautiful voice and everything. And so they brought David. And David didn't come by himself when he came before Saul. His father uh, gave uh, bread and wine. But at that particular time, the father put that on a beast. And so you would think, well, can I use the same beast to... <laughs> Run to this uh, war, but he didn't. And so David put this stuff on his back and took it. He went alone. And that also speaks to me and tells, gives me a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he went to Calvary, he was alone, there was no one there with him. Oh, there were his observers. Christ went to Calvary and bore your sin and my sin all by Himself. So there, once again, we see a, a picture that Christ bore it alone, He bore His cross. And then, as we read in uh, chapter uh, 17, verse, let's read in verse 18, and carry these 10 cheeses unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. <clears throat> he didn't send the cheeses to the three sons of uh, his three sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and, and Shamma. They didn't get the cheese; they just got the bread, and uh, and so the provisions there—the uh, parched corn and the bread. Why did he give the cheeses to the commander? Well, I think the key is, is, the, is in the end of um, verse 18, and take their pledge. And I looked it up, and the word pledge in the Hebrew has to, carries the idea of exchange, or we would use the word pawn. So what happens sometimes in these battles is that the, the soldiers didn't bring enough supplies, and they're, they're out of supplies. Well, what do they do? They, um, they have to pawn some of their stuff to get maybe some of the bare essentials. Uh, bare essentials. And so Jesse, thinking ahead, said, you know, give, this, give these cheeses to the... Uh, to the commander, and then you know, in case Eliab and Benadab and Shammah are in Hawk, uh, they that'll t- that'll get them out of Hawk, and that's the idea about the pledge. You know, when we think of that, I I can't help but think of uh, Psalm sixty-nine verse four. And in Psalm sixty-nine verse four, it's, it's a messianic psalm. It says, "Then I restored that which I took not away." You see, the Lord paid a debt he didn't owe. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. And the Lord paid our debt, not when we were his friends and, you know, received him. He paid our debt when we were his enemies. What a a tremendous Savior we have, that he was willing to pay our debt that we couldn't pay. So we continue on here, and, you know, it, it could be a different situation when there's a siege involved, and I think if we remember back in 2 uh, Kings chapter 7, remember that uh, uh, Ben-Hadad and the Assyrian army, they took up and they completely surrendered Samaria, and they took up a siege and basically what they did is that we're gonna we're gonna be here as long as it takes to starve you guys out until you you know give full surrender and we remember how the people were were dying of hunger and reverting reverting even to cannibalism because of that siege but in some cases this was not a siege this was simply a confrontation and they could have possibly not brought enough supplies. But in that story in Second uh, Kings chapter 7, we, we know that there was four lepers that were outside the city of Samaria. <clears throat> and they basically said, you know what? Let's go into the enemy's camp. I mean, if we're going to get killed, we're going to die anyways. <clears throat> but maybe they'll be gracious enough to, to give us some food. And we know what happened is that the night before, the Lord caused a big ruckus and everybody left their tents and ran home and left all this food. And these four lepers were just going from tent to tent and just eating like crazy, food they hadn't seen in such a long time. And then what did they do? They came to themselves and they said, you know what, we're not doing right. Because if we don't tell... Samaria, our people in the city, about all this food, then there's going to be ill will to us. And so they did. They came in and said that there was food out there. And of course, the people left the city and went out and finally were able to eat. And so David was told by his father, Jesse, to run to his brother's. And this gives the idea that there was a seriousness, an urgency in his request. In Romans 5, verse 6, it tells us, for when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Due time means at just the right time, at just the right moment, Christ died for us. He didn't delay. He came at the right time. And in Psalm 40, verse 8, it says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is written within my heart. Now it says here in verse 20 of 1 Samuel 17, it says that David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. It's interesting that he got up early. He was anxious to do God's will. Can you think of another situation in the Old Testament where someone got up early to do God's will? Abraham. That's right. Abraham got up early, and when you're 130 years old, that's awful tough to get up early, let alone get up at all, because <laughs> I know there are times <laughs> that uh, we get real sore, right, Bill? Yeah, and uh, you know, when you put in a hard day's exercise work, and all of a sudden, the next day, you're just, oh, but David was young, so we give that form. But he was anxious to do his father's, his father's will. And so he got up early. And this reminds me of how that we should deal with the things of the Lord. Do you get up early in order to get here on time for the breaking of bread? To come to church? David did. I can remember when Marge and I were living up in Big Bear and we had two little kids, one on the way, that if we weren't in the car ready to pull out of the driveway at seven o'clock Sunday morning, we wouldn't make it here on time for breaking a bread. We knew it. So what do you do? Well, you've got to plan and way ahead and do what you got to do because if we're gonna be on time, we have to you know, get all the preparations in line. And David showed that he was responsible by arranging for adequate care for the sheep that he was in charge of. When, we're, when we take on a responsibility here at the chapel, if for some reason we can't fulfill that responsibility, do we make sure that it's taken care of, or we just say, you know what, someone else is going to take care of it? That's not my problem. Some people do that, and and you know when you're working with a Sunday school, and and Jeff and Kristen I think can verify this, is that there there was times when all of a sudden you get a call because your your Sunday school is ready to start, right, and there's a teacher missing and you know, call up, oh, I'm not feeling good today. Jeff, can you just take, the, you know, that's hard, folks. You know, if, if, I got a call last night at about nine o'clock, a little after nine o'clock, and Justin called me, and I said, yeah, what's up? He says, Dave, he said, uh, I'm speaking at Bethel today. Can you go down to the the home to help him with the, the uh, breaking of bread. Well, it just so happened that I know the circumstances behind that because I was up at the men's retreat yesterday, and I was sitting next to Tim Borbany, one of the elders at Bethel, and Tim says, Dave, he says, someone just called me this morning, Saturday morning, and said that they can't speak tomorrow morning. What are I? He says, I'm going to have to leave this conference early. And so when I found out that Justin was speaking, I know what happened. Tim got a hold of him and, and asked him. And, uh, but you know what? He called me the night before and made arrangements. And, and we need to be like that also. If we've been given a responsibility, it's very important that we follow it through and not just say someone else will take care of it. Well, David wasn't like that. He took care of the situation. It reminds me of Proverbs twenty-two, twenty-nine, 29, and it says, Seest thou a man diligent in business? He shall not stand before mean or obscure men. And, uh, you know, it seems like sometimes we, with assembly, we treat it differently than if we did the real world. Um, in the real world, um, if we have an appointment, if we have to be somewhere on time we're there no question about it but uh when it comes to the things of the lord sometimes you know we can sometimes be a little bit careless in jeremiah 48:10, it says cursed be he that doeth the work of the lord deceitfully the word deceitfully literally means negligently and so we need to be very careful when it's things of the lord We need to be diligent, just like David was. And it says here, he continued, um, look down here, and verse 22. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, and ran into the army, and came and saluted his brethren. The carriage is simply, in in the Hebrew, it's the word, a prepared item something that was prepared beforehand. And that's, you know, that was the, the parched corn, 10 gallons of parched corn, and, um, and the uh, bread, 10 loaves of bread. And it says that he left it with the, the keeper of the carriage. And that, that means something to me. When he had this task, he didn't just come and throw it at the feet of his brothers and saying, there you are, you know I'm done, I'm out of here. No, because his brothers were armed for war. They were in a battle. They were ready to do fight. Well, they were in battle array. And, you know, having that stuff thrown at your feet, that wasn't going to help them at all. So David correctly gave it to the right person who was the one, probably the cook or whoever does, uh, hands out the, the, the vittles, I guess. And so Uh, That again shows that he was very careful in carrying out the things that the Lord or his father had asked him. And then he went and talked with his brother. And it said he ran into the army and came and saluted his brother. He greeted his brothers. Now, this was interesting. Does this remind you of another person that was sent by the father to uh, see how the sons were doing. Yeah. Yeah, there was a, a guy named uh, what was it? Oh, Joseph. Oh, yeah. Remember Joseph? He came to his brothers and greeted them. And was he received? No. And we're going to see a, a copy of that here in just a second. And so uh he greeted them, and he didn't leave quickly. And, and maybe that reminds us is that when we come together and we greet one another, and I think one of the things that I enjoy seeing at Claremont is that we love to talk with each other. We really do. In fact, especially if the person who's uh, responsible for locking up I mean, they're waiting and waiting, and everybody's just having a good time talking and sharing and fellowshipping, and sometimes it's like, I'll lock the door, and hey, the last person out, can you please turn off the lights, you know? Um, And that's how it should be. We should love to be around each other. We should love to greet one another, and that's what David did. Do you think David had any inkling that his brothers didn't really care for him? Could be. Could very well be. And so we continue on here as we try to finish up here. Um, Goliath, okay? And as he talked with him, verse 23, Behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, and out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, And we're sore afraid and the men of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up surely to defy Israel as he come up and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel, which means what? No more taxes. Can you imagine what it would be like for someone to tell you no more state or government taxes? That would be great, you know. That would be great. Well, anyway, continue on here. And the people answered him after the same manner, saying, so shall, verse 27, so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And this is the the heart of what I would like to look at this morning. But before we get to that, uh, the question that I was thinking about a couple days ago was, why did God allow Goliath, to defy him for 40 days, twice a day, twice a day, 40 days. I mean, the question you might ask today, why is God allowing all of that's going on now, all the attacks against God and Christianity? Why is he allowing it? I can think of two reasons. Number one, 2 Peter 3, 9, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He's waiting he's long-suffering he's waiting for people to come to him he doesn't come bound and just hit him with with judgment immediately he holds back his judgment but in this particular case it's very interesting that um, matthew henry in his commentary says or suggests that god was ripening goliath for destruction and to make Israel's deliverance more glorious. He was allowing them to do it because you can imagine, every time that Goliath came out, challenged the armies of Israel, he was going, <laughs> these guys are so scared. I'm, I'm loving it. I go out the next day. He does it, you know, the, the afternoon, does it again. Everybody runs. The Bible says they run. And he says, oh, this is great, you know. Does it for t- 10 days, 20 days, 30 days, And does it up to the 40th day. It just happened to be someone else in the audience that 40th day. His name was David. And so Eliab, it says here, look at verse 28. Again, Eliab is David's eldest brother, it says here. Heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. Because David said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of God? And this ticked off Eliab, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why comest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride, for the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down, that thou mightest see the battle." It says that the three oldest sons of Jesse followed Saul but David followed the Lord. We need to be very, very careful who we follow because man will always let you down. In Galatians 5.15, it says, um, as far as uh, in the idea of Eliab, it says, but if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one another. We've got to be very careful when we accuse other Christians of anything. We gotta make sure that it's in the right attitude and with a loving heart. And uh, of course, Eliab's attack on David was from the flesh. And there was no doubt that he was jealous of David's courage, which was a result of David's communion with the Lord. Eliab was, was angry with the wrong person. Instead of being angry with David, he should have been angry with Goliath, and he wasn't. And so what, what was Eliab doing in this whole uh, scenario? Was he in the battle? Was he the one that was going to go down and fight Goliath? No, he was sitting, sitting idly by, and that's what happens sometimes with people that accuse others Of something, you look at them and they're not in the battle. They're they're sitting silently by, watching everybody do, uh, everybody else involved in the in the warfare, and yet they themselves uh, refuse to get in the battle. And so, in some, um, Eliab's uh, jealousy also came from the fact. They had witnessed the youngest son being anointed the next king of Israel and had been chosen to minister to uh, Saul through music. We read about that in, in uh, chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Um, it, was, it was just such, a, such a, a, an attack because David had already found favor in Saul's eyes. Maybe Eliab was jealous about that. And Eliab seemed to discount the responsibility that David had in keeping his father's sheep because he said, oh, these these few sheep. And and when he was accusing Eliab, he did it in front of the army. He didn't pull David aside and say, you know what, what do you think you're doing? No, he didn't. He did it right there when David was amongst everybody else. He accused him. And so, so it says here, He says, I know thy pride. Did David have pride? No, he didn't have any pride. And the naughtiness of thine heart. Have you ever been accused of something that was completely and totally wrong? I think all of us have at some time. And this is a... This is very important that you don't accuse someone of their motives because we can't, I can't see into your heart and you can't see into my heart. And so we've got to be very careful when we accuse uh, another Christian. But notice what David said here. You know, the Bible says in um, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, it says, let your gentleness... Be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, put yourself in the place of David. Okay? David's run. I mean, he's run almost 10 miles with all the stuff on his back. Gives it to the right person. Comes in. Says, hey, brothers, how you doing? And when he hears this Philistine, then he gets really upset because he's defying the arms of God. And then Eliab gets mad at him and says, man, you, you're totally out of line, David. And so he says um, that you, you just came to, to see the battle. That's all you did. Now, what David could have said, and I was thinking about this, if I was in his shoes, you know, I'm David, no, no, I would have said, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Eliab, uh, what battle? You, you're saying there's a battle? I, I don't see any battle. You said, I came down to see the battle. Where is the battle? There wasn't a battle because they were all running away. He says, Oh, you mean when you guys, Goliath was here and you ran? Okay, is that, that's the battle? Okay. Uh, no, he didn't say that. But what did he did say? This is really important for us to all understand. David says, What have I done? It was very kind. It was gracious, but it was right to the point. He's saying, what have I done? And if Eliab was truthful, he said, well, you got mad at Goliath because he defied the armies of God. Yes. And is that a problem? Is there something wrong with that? No, there's nothing wrong with that. Eliab should have been mad at Goliath and not at David. And then he said, Is there not a cause? In other words, Eliab, there's a reason for me being here. First reason was I'm obeying my father who sent me with supplies. But second of all, the Lord sent me here to fight that big guy down there in that valley. That's the cause. That's the reason why I'm here. And then the words were heard, verse 31, as we finish up here, which David spake and they rehearsed him to Saul and he sent for him and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, thy servant will go and fight with the Philistines. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for thou art but a youth and he a man of war from his youth. People, please, I beg of you. And I have to say this to myself first. Don't discount the young people. Don't discount them. God has done mighty works. If you look through the whole Old Testament, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all these people, they were all young people. Don't discount their ability to do great things for God. And David said to Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. I challenge anybody here to go up to a mountain lion and try to take away its food that it just killed. It's not going to happen or a bear. Now, I was foolish enough a couple years ago at Yosemite to take my fishing vest out of a bear's mouth, but I don't suggest you do that, Okay, I just didn't want to lose all my good fishing gear and my my $40 license. But uh, people said, you are so stupid to do that. And they they were right, Uh, especially it was in the middle of the night, and I was barefoot, and I was running through the camp after the bear. But David got close enough to grab the beard of the bear. That's close combat, folks. You can't get closer to the bear than that. And he smote the bear. Now you say, well, man, this David, he must be so talented, so gifted. No, let's find out what it says here. And the servant slew both the lion, verse 36, and the bear. And th- this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, seeing that he defied the armies of the living God. Um, and then David said in verse 37 And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. He made sure that the Lord got all the glory. It wasn't because of his cunningness. It wasn't because of his skill. It wasn't because of his strength. It wasn't because of any of that. And so when we are, are spared and the Lord has shown his protection on us, we need to give him the credit, all of it, not take any of it on ourselves. And David made sure that he didn't get any credit for killing hand, you know, hand combat with a lion and a bear. He made sure that the Lord was the one that got the glory. Well, real quickly, as we're out of time, I just wanted to go over some of the things that we learned from here. And that is this. If we're faithful in the small things, David was faithful in his, in his keeping of his father's flock, then God will elevate us to greater things. That's number one. Number two, be very, very careful when accusing another brother or a sister that you know your facts uh, correctly. Search your own heart first to see if there isn't any jealousy on your part before leveling accusations against another believer. Make sure that you're in the battle and that your aim is always towards the enemy and not towards one of your brothers or sisters. And then finally, remember the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that he through his poverty, that we through his poverty might be rich. Second Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that these hurried thoughts this morning uh, will be used by your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts on our relationship with one another, our relationship with you, our being faithful in the small things of the Lord, that we'll be faithful. And that Father, we just ask that if there's anyone here this morning who has never received Christ as their savior, that they realize that there is one who not only watches over us, but Father has paid the ultimate price by dying on the cross at Calvary, shedding his blood. And because of that shed blood, our sins, the penalty for our sins have been paid for forever. And that we need to receive Christ. But as many as receive him, to them he gives the right to become children of God, even to them that believe in his name. We ask that you would part us with your blessing in your son's worthy and his precious name. Amen.